but I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. And usually, you know, uh, if you've been coming for any length of time, I don't get the microphone for this long very often. And so when I do, I try to take advantage of it. And what I want to do right now is um, I just want to honor a few people if I can. Um, and if you don't know me, I, I get to lead student ministry here at our campus. That's real life, which is 7th through 12th grade, and then elevation, which is college students. And um, so I just want to, I want to honor our team for just a minute. These, these are the unsung heroes of ministry. Uh, if you're in student ministry, you're in student ministry because you want to be in student ministry. Um, these people have either traveled with me halfway around the world to China and slept on cots and air mattresses in dingy areas and took showers in places that when you feel dirtier getting out of the shower than you do getting in. And then they've also traveled with me to Lonsdale, Arkansas, where you sleep on cots and air mattresses and take showers in places that make you feel dirtier than you at youth camp. So can we just, can you guys help me out? And can we just honor our, our tribe leaders and elevation team by putting our hands together, giving them some grace? Um, I love our team so much. Everything they do, I just want to make sure that we can honor them. Um, so a little bit about me, if you, if you don't know me very well yet. Um, I've been on staff here at the church since we launched back in, I guess it was 2014 now. And um, before that, though, I spent the better part of a decade um, in the areas of like journalism, uh, media, marketing, graphic design, and things like that. And so during my time in those areas, you learn something when you're around that stuff long enough. Um, packaging matters, okay? Everybody say packaging. Okay, now everybody say it like you're at the 11 o'clock service and you have plenty of time to wake up. Packaging matters. Okay, packaging matters. It doesn't matter. I was a sports editor for a while, and it didn't matter how much effort I spent writing an article. If I was interviewing a coach or spent you know, all day, maybe all week, crafting this really great Pulitzer Prize winning, award winning, the world is going to know this article kind of story. If the headline that went with it wasn't any good, people would skip right over it. Um, the same thing goes with design. If, if, if the product may be amazing and life changing, but if the product design, the package that it comes in looks really terrible, Studies show people will pass right over it and go to a lesser product just because it looks better. So packaging matters. It makes a difference. And to show you what I'm talking about, I'm just going to show you something and let the packaging speak for itself. Come on. Come on. Y'all know, the minute I showed this, the presence of God fell in this place. Okay, I believe that. The Lord's chicken. If you're Team Popeyes, get out, okay? I want nothing to do with you right now. Um, Chick-fil-A obviously is an amazing product, um, but what if, I want to I throw a hypothetical in your direction. What if you get the hankering, well, let me ask this question first, okay? Um, anybody on team chicken tenders, okay? You prefer the tenders, okay? Wow, thank you, thank you. We're on the same team. Anybody nuggets, your team nuggets, okay? Okay, Less than the first, anybody just classic chicken sandwich? You're just a chicken sandwich fan. Okay. Y'all, y'all are all, all of it's good. All of it is blessed by God. Here's the deal. If you get the hankering for chicken or chicken tenders, and if you didn't know this, the standard order of chicken tenders is three tenders. And I believe that's on purpose. I don't, I didn't know Truett, Kathy. Don't know Dan. Don't know the executives there. But there are three tenders, and I believe that's for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that's just me. But if you get the hankering for some Chick-fil-A, some chicken tenders, you pull into the drive-thru, it's a great day at Chick-fil-A, how can I help you? 
You tell them your order. They pray for you, ask about mom. You pull around to the window. You scan your app. You give them the money, whatever. They take your money. They say, we'll be right out with your, with your order. They come out, and they hand you your chicken, but they hand it to you like this. <laughs> Here. Now, you're, you're torn emotionally, right? Because on one hand, it's Chick-fil-A. You don't know. Maybe they heard from God, and this is how they're supposed to give it to you. But chances are you're going to be looking at them like, what are you doing, you weirdo? I don't know where your hands have been, okay? It's weird. Nobody hands you just loose chicken tenders out a window when you've ordered it. Packaging matters, okay? Packaging really matters. And here's the point I want to make. How you live your life matters. Everything that that we do as a church, the lights, smoke, sound system, the subwoofer, okay? The, the, The team we have up here on stage, the team we have back working with your kids and serving coffee, parking cars, all of that stuff is packaging. It's why we do what we do. It's why we do things with excellence. It's why we, we, we take pride in how our building looks. And we want to make sure it's clean and, and we have new furniture and we do things like that. And some people look at us and maybe you're here in this place and you say, well, Craig, can't we just let God be God? Can't God speak for himself? Do we have to have all that stuff? Have to have Jordan up here just shredding on a guitar like that? Do we have to have that? And here's what I would say to that. God is already God. And here's the thing. There are people in your life who don't know God, but they know you. And the question becomes, do they want to know God now that they know you? Packaging matters. How we live our life matters. God wants us, what he wants from us, is for us to be vessels that he can use to be the package that the glory of God can be used through and shown in. Now, I want to go to a verse or a passage this morning, a, a text in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm going to go to it in a minute. I just want to remind you, listen, you can follow along with today's notes on the Version app if you've got it. Um, but if you just want to pull if you maybe got a paper Bible, that's cool too. Okay, that's great. Have a paper Bible, but maybe some of your Bibles glow. That's okay too. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 4 is where I'm going to spend my time today. And I want to set this up for just a second as I wipe the Chick-fil-A off my hand. Um, The story is about Elisha and a woman. This woman happens to be a widow. And we don't know all the details, but what we do know from context of this story is that this woman is a widow, and she had a debt that needed to be paid. We don't know if maybe the husband acquired the debt or the husband died, and she's just been... living off credit and can't pay it back because her husband is no longer with her to have income to pay the debt. All we know, this woman has a debt. She is without a husband. And at that time, the legal system in Israel would not allow her to declare bankruptcy, okay? So she would have to give her sons away as servants to her creditor as payment for the debt. So this was a big deal. There was a lot at stake here. Now, I don't have a child yet. We're not parents yet. I can promise you, if the day ever comes when I do have a child and I owe so much that the creditor is going to come and either require payment or my child, I will do everything humanly possible to make sure that child stays with me. So this woman in our story is in a desperate place. She's in a desperate place. 
She is willing to do whatever it takes to keep her children with her. So she comes to Elisha. And this is where it says, what we pick up in verse 1, 1 through 6. I'm going to read it this morning. Number 1. Uh, one day, the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you? Elisha asks. Tell me, I love how he says this, tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons, shut the door behind you, pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. Verse 5. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon, every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what's left over. This morning, I want to spend the rest of my time asking a question, and hopefully we can find the answer to it today. The question is, how can I be a vessel for God? How can I be a vessel for God? And I want to go through a few steps this morning, talk them out, kind of process this together if we can. And the first step I want to talk about on how we can be used as a vessel for God is this. Number one, use what you have. Use what you have. The truth is, is that nothing, everybody say nothing. Now everybody say it like you're the 11 o'clock and you've had plenty of caffeine and sleep. Everybody say nothing. Okay. Nothing is too insignificant for God to use. Nothing. The Bible is full of examples of God using seemingly insignificant things to show off his glory, to let the world know who he is, how powerful he is, what he can do, and to use it to teach us centuries later about those same things. He is the master at using insignificant things, things that, that make no sense to us that we should use. An axe head, okay? A staff, a slingshot, even, even the cross. At that time, the cross was so common, nobody thought anything about it. When, when a crucifixion was going to be taking place, that's just how they did it. And so a cross, even at that moment, would be deemed insignificant, yet God can use it and take anything and make it impactful for his kingdom. In verse 2 of our story, Elisha asks her, what do you have? And she replies with nothing at all. Now, we don't fully get this vibe from this message, but I, I, if you've heard me speak before, you know I, I kind of like to process things visually and I kind of play it out in my head. I don't know if you're like that or not. But when I hear this, I picture Elisha asking, well, what do you have? And her saying, well, I don't have anything. And then Elisha just stares at her for a minute. Like, really? Y'all know the stare I'm talking about. Parents in the room, come on, you know what stare I'm talking about. The stare that you just look into their soul and make them confess things they did years ago, okay? That look that you can look at your kid and they just start weeping because you know, you know they're guilty of something. You don't know what it is, but you know it's something. You're just going to look at them and go, you better tell me. I think that's a look Elisha just kind of gave her, like, come on, you've got something that I can use, that God can use. And she goes, well, I do have a little bit of olive oil left. 
To her, this flask of olive oil was not very big, and it was so insignificant, she didn't even think that it mattered. Think about that for a second. Think about how insignificant this oil was. This woman who is obviously so desperate to keep her children, but that slips her mind. It must have been very insignificant to her. And thus, she thinks insignificant to everyone else. But it turns out she was overlooking the very thing that God wanted to use for her miracle. It reminds me of another story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 16. Samuel, a prophet from God, has been told, go to the house of Jesse, talk to him. The next king of Israel is there. It's one of his sons. Samuel goes, says, hey, what's up, Jess? Um, I need to see your boys. Jesse grabs all of his sons, brings them out. Now, Again, visualizing here for a second. I'm picturing these guys coming out like fashion models, right? Okay, they kind of strutting their stuff. I am what's up in this place? Come on. And I think they like pose a little bit, you know, like the you know the Herc, you know Zeus pose, the Heisman. They're doing all these different things, showing off their muscles. They're like, I am the next. This is amazing. I'm about to be the next king of Israel. And Samuel, one by one, is going through. No, you're not it. You're too tall, I guess. I don't know. You're too cocky. You definitely don't need to be it. And looks at Jesse and says, don't you have anybody else? Don't you have another son? He's like, well, I mean, David, but you don't want David. He's small. He's too young. He's insignificant. We know how the rest of the story goes. David ends up being one of the most influential people in Scripture. Part of the lineage of Jesus. God wants to use the insignificant things in your life. Even if you don't see it, God can use it. He specializes in it. And what God has placed in your life, I love this so much, what God has placed in your life, nobody can take away. Nobody can steal it from you. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. What God has given to you, that little passion that you've always had in your life, you've always had a passion to go overseas. You've always had a passion to teach. You've always had a passion of talking to people. You've always had a passion of music. You've always had a passion to help other people. You've always had a passion to open up your home and invite people in and have some small group time. Those passions that you've got, nobody else can take them away because they are given to you by God. And even though they may feel insignificant to you and that nobody else cares about it or will use it, God makes it a point to use those things. So the question I would love to ask you this morning is what are you overlooking in your life that God can use? What are the things that you have in your life? What is that one thing in your life that you keep passing by? You think that there's no way the church could use that. There's no way that I can use that to impact culture for Jesus. What is that one thing that you've got in your life that you're overlooking that God can use? A great example of this is when I was a teenager, a young teenager, the church I went to at the time, it, at that time, it leaned a little bit more toward the traditional side, and it didn't have a lot of the, you know, the, the modern amenities that we, we think of when we think of church now. And so if you weren't involved in speaking, leading children, watching babies, or playing on a worship team, playing music, then it was really, or teaching a Sunday school class, because that was a thing then too, then it was really easy for you to look and say, well, do I have a role to play 
in serving the church. And I remember there was a moment, I always loved the design side of things. I always loved being involved in technology, and even at a young age, I loved it. And I remember there was an opportunity one night, it was like a worship night, just kind of a, a gathering where we just came together, maybe in a revival, you know, something like that. And our church had just recently gotten a projection system that we could, it was nothing, no graphics, no anything, but just to project lyrics on a screen. And I remember having the opportunity to do it. And it blew my mind. I felt at home. I felt at peace. I felt like I could connect with something. I wasn't doing anything but just hitting spacebar. But every time, I didn't say it out loud because I'd be that weirdo, but in my heart and in my mind, every time I'm hitting spacebar, shout to the Lord, all the earth, yes, shout, spacebar. Just felt like I had purpose. I had something, and it was insignificant to me. And honestly, in the grand scheme of things, when it came to a service, it may have been insignificant, but it led me down a path that got me to where I am today. So don't overlook the insignificant things in your life. What are you overlooking right now? I love using this example because there may be some of you here today who say, I, I don't know what I've got, but I mean, I just like having people over at the house. I mean, it's not really a spiritual gift. It kind of is, but well, I mean, what I mean by that is like, I, I'm not very pastoral. It's like, I'm not going to like, but I just like making my house just a place where people can come. Hey, guess what? You should be involved in hosting a life group, okay? Two plus two equals four, all right? If you're like, but, but Craig, I can't pastor, I can't teach, I don't think I'm gonna partner with somebody and lead a life group. How God can use you. Well, Craig, I like video games. And God used me playing video games. It's called student ministry. Get involved, okay? See me afterwards. God can use even the most insignificant parts of your life and use them for good and use them for God. Number two, the next step in being used by God is to prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Be prepared. When Elisha asked this woman to go and get every jar she can find, the word he uses in our text is the Hebrew word for vessels, which is uh, keli, okay? And it simply means something prepared. That's what this word here means, something prepared. He did not, Elisha didn't go up to her and said, listen, I need you to find a glass, 10-ounce jar from Williams-Sonoma. You'll see the one when you get there. It's got the matching lid, and it's got love engraved on the side of it. That's not what he was asking for. He said, something prepared. Any vessel will do as long as it's prepared. And I think God is asking, if we want to be vessels used by God, we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be a certain person kind. We don't have to be a certain demographic. We don't have to have all these check marks. All we have to do is be willing and be prepared. God is looking for prepared vessels. So what does it mean to be prepared? Two quick things. The first of which is to be empty. We have to be empty. And when you first think about this, it makes complete sense and it's totally obvious to us. In order for a vessel to be filled completely, it needs to be completely empty. In order for this woman to get the maximum amount of oil into a vessel, she has to get rid of whatever was in there. I picture it like this. Elisha tells her, find a vessel. Any vessel, just make sure it's prepared. If she was to take that information, run into her kitchen, open the fridge, see a mason jar 
uh, with half full of her world-famous salsa and bring that over and say, pour it in this, what will that become? It will become half oil, half mango habanero, okay? And you are depriving yourself of the full blessing that God has for you. This woman, had she done that, the blessing would have stopped a long time ago. What we have to do is empty ourselves out to receive the full amount that God wants for us. Empty ourselves. We have a tendency, a really bad one, especially in today's culture, we are praying for God to fill us. God, use me. I want to be used. I, I want to feel your presence. I want to have this weight lifted off of me. So God, use me. And he's trying to fill us up, but we keep being full of other stuff. We're not willing to empty out some of the things in our life that are keeping us from receiving the full blessing that God wants for our lives. We're not willing to give up our position, our status, friendships, relationships. We're not really willing to get rid of addictions or hangups or struggles. Instead, we want to hold on to those things and say, well, if I can keep a quarter of this and you fill up the rest, that'll be plenty. It never is. God wants to not just fill up one vessel. He wants to keep going. Generations. We have to be willing to be empty. Jen Hatmaker has a great quote that sums this up nicely. She says this, usually the things we think we need become the very things that we need a break from. So the question I want to ask right now is, what do we have in our lives that is taking up space that we need to empty out so we can allow God to fill us up? I love it. John 3, verse 30 says, he must become greater, I must become less. He needs to become greater, I need to become less. More of you, less of me. Fill up with you, take me out of the picture. Put him first in our life, empty ourselves. The second thing we can do to be prepared is to be in the right position, to find ourselves in the right position, the right place at the right time, if you will. The widow in our text, she was asked by Elisha to gather the vessels from around the neighborhood and bring them to her house. He didn't say, I want you to go around to all the different houses and pour out the oil. No, it was gather the vessels, bring them to your house, we have to be in the right position to receive what God wants for us, to be used by God. We have to be in the right position. There's a great story that you may have heard of. It happened in 2007. The Washington Post did this little experiment with a famous violinist by the name of Joshua Bell. And um, Bell, who usually, you know, will be all tuxedoed out and um, perform shows all over in these fancy venues all over the world, um, the Washington Post, this, this writer for them said, I want to take you, put you in just a T-shirt, a baseball cap, and some jeans, put you in a subway uh, station in Washington, D.C., and see what happens. You play the show like you normally would, play your whole set. He's playing Bach and all this other stuff. Play it just as you would. We'll see what happens. Over 1,000 people, this, this, this writer tracked down to the numbers, like 1,029 people who passed this famous violinist, seven people stopped to listen. He usually charges over $150 per ticket at a place like Carnegie Hall. He made 32 bucks with a case open that day. What's the difference? It's where he positioned himself. When you position yourself in the right place, God will do amazing things. 
But so many of us, our position is out of whack. We're not wanting to be in the right places. We're not wanting, willing to do the right things. We're not willing to be in the position that God has for us. We want to step out of the will of God. Now listen, this isn't in my notes, and I didn't mention this first service, but T.D. Jakes has a great example that if you get out of position and off track, God is like a GPS. He will always route you back to the route. He will always point you back to the destination. So let that be an encouragement. If you're off track today, if you're out of position, God will provide a way back. We have to be in the right position. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. If we want to be used by God, we need to be where God is. And it's a really simple statement, but it holds a lot of weight. If we want to be used by God, we got to be where he is. We have to pursue the will of God for our lives. Zacchaeus is a great example of this. He climbed a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus saw him, invited himself over to dinner, and we tell that story for generations. The woman with an issue of blood positioned herself in a way to have healing. She pushed through a crowd, positioned herself at the feet of Jesus just for a touch, and she was healed. A donkey, okay? There is a donkey in the New Testament that positions itself to be used by God. Jesus sits on it. The donkey ushers him into the city, fulfilling a prophecy. And if God can use a donkey, he can use you. God wants to use us. We just have to position ourselves in the right way. The third step, and I'm ending with this. Zach, you can make your way up. Number three, we have to pour it out. We have to pour out what God has given us. For this widow, this insignificant amount of oil, this little bit that she had, it was all she had. But as much potential as this oil had, again, you have to put yourself in her shoes for a minute. We have the luxury of knowing what happens to that oil. She didn't. She didn't know if it would multiply. She, she didn't know if she would pour that little bit and it would just be a drop in a container and that's it. And now that oil is gone. But the miracle also didn't happen until the oil was poured out. The gift that God has given us, even though insignificant, even though we're prepared, we've done all the right things, this is where we get hung up so many times. We get stuck here. Because we're not sure what's going to happen next, and we're kind of terrified to let go. We're kind of terrified to take that step and to trust God. And here's the reason why I think we are. It's because we're not trusting God. We're putting it all on us. Well, Craig, if, if I decide to go on a mission trip, then, man, that's a lot of fundraising. That's a lot of, i got to get a passport. I gotta, that's a long flight, and i got to do all this stuff. I've got to do this, and i got to do this. And we're not concerned with God's plan. We're worried about how we're going to do it. Craig, if I start serving in the church, I mean, I mean, with kids, I could get sick. Those kids carry germs now. Craig, if I'm, if I'm serving, it's just one more thing to think about during the week. Well, Craig, if I'm going to be generous with the resource I have, well, that's just one more. i got to figure something else out. i got to make sure I'm ready first before I can give anything. We're putting it all on us. We think that we are the source, and if something is going to happen, it's going to be up to me to do it. It's like this. I want to give you this example. Everybody knows what this is, right? It's a water hose, okay? You 
don't know what it is, let's talk after. <laughs> the manufacturer of this water hose had a plan in mind. Okay? He designed it, she designed it with a purpose, knew exactly what it was supposed to do, created it in everything. But not one person in this room, I would assume, thinks that if I pull this, water is going to come out of it right now. Because the water hose does not provide anything. It's simply a vessel. The water hose was designed for something, but as it is, it's not going to do us much good. But when we connect it, to the right source, and we say, okay, I can't do it on my own. I'm just a vessel. So I'm going to take it, and I'm going to connect it, maybe, if I can do it while holding a mic. I'm going to connect it, and now I'm connected. And now, it's not just on me anymore. Now, I've got a source. Because guess what? <laughs> what are y'all nervous for? <laughs> y'all think I would never. Thing is, some of y'all are going, no, he wouldn't. And then some of y'all are going, he does work with students. <laughs> this is the kind of thing they do in real life, isn't it? Yeah. Just be glad. If you were a teenager, I would just be... I'll clean it up later kind of mentality. It's not actually connected to something. But you know what? Just a moment ago, I did the same thing. Not a single person flinched. Why? What changed? I got connected to the source. And instantly, because of that one thing, every person in this room goes, mm, something. Because it's not the water hose that does anything. It's what it's connected to. In our lives, we are simply just the vessel. When we connect to the right source, we have an unlimited supply. God is wanting to do something in your life. But so many of us are a water hose without a connection. Thinking that we can provide everything that's needed. All we are meant to do is pour it out, to be a conduit. When we're connected to the source, not only do we have confidence to actually do it, but we have the supply. What changed for this woman? She started out this story saying, I've got nothing. I mean, a little bit of oil. But by the end of it, she is filling up container after container, vessel after vessel, jar after jar of this oil. What changed? She got connected to the source at some point in the middle. And I love this story because this story takes place in 2 Kings chapter 4. But if you fly forward in time a couple of centuries and get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul is writing, he says, but, if, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure, this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. 
God did not choose you in spite of your cracks, in spite of how unpolished you were, in spite of your insecurities and imperfections. He chose you because of them. God loves using the insignificant, average, mundane, a little bit cracked, a little bit worn. He didn't care what you used to carry in your vessel. He cares about you right now. And the reason why is this. It's because if he can use you how you are connected to him, people won't think it's the water hose providing water. They'll know it's the source providing the water. His glory will be shown. It's him that flows through you. The packaging does not give value to the product. You don't go to Chick-fil-A for the package. You go to Chick-fil-A for the nuggets. The product adds value to the package. God wants to value your life by flowing through you. And when you realize that you're connected to the source, and when you prepare your heart to be used, and when you allow God to use even the insignificant parts of your life, that's when the miracle can take place. That's when God wants to bless you. That's when he's going to flow in your life. That's when he's going to provide you with an abundance. That's when he's going to use you to tell people about his glory. Are we a vessel? I want you guys to close your eyes around the room today. I want to speak to your heart for just a second.